Crimes on the Prairie is a Crooked Sea Ranch production. Welcome to Little Crimes on the Prairie. We have a Prairie Tales episode today, and Serena's back with me. I'm back. Yay. <laughs> so we have like one really long story, and you may have noticed some new music, some new sounds from the very, very talented Miss Shantara Bird. You can find her music on Spotify and just about anywhere you find your music. You might also hear some new music from Young Poet. You can find his music on soundcloud.com slash youngpoetmusic. And my guy's also a streamer on twitch.tv slash Simba. Both of these young people are very, very talented, and I'm so grateful that they gave me permission to use their music. So I hope you guys enjoy it as much as I do. Do you have any business to talk about? Anything new? Ooh, did you hear that they cracked the cipher for the Zodiac, the um, 304 cipher, I, I think? Saw, I think that's what it's called. I think called. I saw a news article. I spent a lot of time on Reddit, so. Now I'm going to have to look it up. I did see something on there, um, but I didn't read it or anything because I've been just completely entwined in our false election that we're dealing yeah, with right yeah. now. So um, I haven't really looked at much else. It's kind of getting slapped in the face with a lot of other stuff. But I did. After 51 years, the Zodiac Killer's cipher has been solved by amateur codebreakers. How fucking cool is that? That is neat. I wonder if and he's, he's I see the Zodiac is one that I don't know much about. Um, um is he alive? It, we or don't, we don't nobody, know. Nobody, nobody knows. knows. He, yeah, we have no idea who he is. Yeah. It, there's um, been a lot of there's been a lot of theories, but of course. You know, it just like any other unsolved crimes. Uh, uh, but yeah, he he had a he taunted the media. Yeah. And he that I knew. Um and he had like really indecipherable, obviously. Yeah, yeah. The three forty cipher—that's what it was called. And um, I mean, how amazing that now it's been solved. And like, I, like, so what does it say? What is well, that's it? that's a good question. That like, they're not going to tell us. Well, I think that it's an ongoing investigation, so they're not going to tell us what it says. Probably not. Just that it's been solved. Well, I hope that helps their investigation. And Ooh, there's a YouTube video. Maybe this yeah, is one there, that won't be it, cold for much longer. We yeah, can, there's not really a, a link that actually says has like there what, been any. What's the most recent victim of that they know of, of the zodiac? Oh, that's a good question. Um, last known victim was a taxi driver killed on October 11th, 1969. Oh, in San so Francisco. he's probably dead. Pro- maybe. I mean, uh, yeah, I mean, that's, you know, that's quite who a long knows? time ago now. There's, there's a lot of, there's been a lot of speculation about him, but, you know. I just feel like when you live a reckless lifestyle where you're a secret killer that 
probably not going to live very long. Yeah. That's, that's, that's just true. how it strikes me. That's but true. It would be interesting to finally have. Yeah, it would. Um, some closure. Maybe and, we'll look a little bit more into that. I know it's not a Midwest crime, but it's still pretty interesting. Interesting. It's always interesting when people can get away with it for so long. Yeah. Especially now. Right, right. Yeah, you'd think it would have been solved. Uh, I mean, obviously, if his last victim was in 69, then they didn't have as much of the same technology as we do today. But still, super interesting. Yeah, and just, like, the way he taunted. Yeah, it was just crazy. But maybe we'll we'll talk more about that in a different episode. But, okay. Okay. You read The Man in Our Yard. Okay. The man in our yard. Hi, I'm a new listener, but I have a story you might like. I grew up in the 60s in a small town in Nebraska. My parents used to go out with another couple and leave my older sister in charge. Now remember, this was the 60s, and my sister was probably only 7 or 8. Times were different then, but we mostly just made beds on the living room floor and watched Johnny Carson. This night wasn't any different, but for some reason I looked out the window. A panic immediately swept over me because standing in our yard was a man. Between our garage and back door, he just stood there. I wasn't sure if he saw me or not. I hollered for my sister and told her there was a man outside. She didn't believe me right away, but when she looked, I could tell she was freaked out. She told me to make sure the doors were locked, and she called the bowling alley where our parents were. Yikes. That's probably my worst nightmare. And you're just really. like a little kid, too. I, I peek out the windows all the time, for real. I just mind my own business. I'm like, I'm yeah, going to go yeah. look out the window real you know, quick. What just if we actually looked on. out the window and actually saw something one time? Like, what the hell would I do? I don't even know what I would do. <laughs> I know. I, it, like, that's just something I hope never happens. I don't want to be <laughs> but, faced with that. I mean, but you can't help it. So you're always kind of looking for, you know. I know. And then, I'll, I mean, I even look out there when it's dark. Like, I can't you see never anything, know. but you never know what might be out there. Ugh. All right. There came a night. Oh, they came home right away, and my mom came in and made sure we were okay. My dad was outside talking to the man, and eventually he drove the man home. When he returned, he seemed panicked as he asked if we were okay. It wasn't until a few years ago that I found out what really happened. The man was covered in blood, and my dad just wanted to get him away from our house and offered him a ride. It turns out the guy had stabbed an elderly lady before ending up in our yard. The cops were looking for him the next day, and my dad told them where he dropped him off. He was arrested, but nobody remembers his name or what happened after. And that's my story. Thanks for talking about the Midwest. I sure miss it. Well, so, Jesus Christ, that was a... That was all the things. That was pretty intense. Um, yeah, my mom has a story kind of similar to that that she told me a lot um, when I was growing up about. Um, I must have been a baby, honestly, and we were living in Sioux Falls. And my dad was a truck driver, so he wasn't home all the time, but he happened to be home this time. There were, I mean, we really weren't like we lived in an apartment building that must have had like at least six to 12 other apartments in it. So there were a lot of people around and our neighbors were like a young couple or some young males like in their early teens, maybe 20s and not teens, but 20s. And 
they were outside, like, making a whole bunch of noise, cleaning their car out. And the radio was really loud. And my dad went out there. It was, like, really early in the morning, like, 4 or 5 in the morning. And my dad went out there and told him to shut up because it was early. And my dad's a pretty big guy. He's kind of intimidating. So I guess they listened to him and minded their own business. Well, within the week, uh, those kids were on the news because one of them had killed their girlfriend. Like... In a, in a, you know, crime of passion, basically. Uh, and they were cleaning up the evidence. Holy shit. At 3, 4 in the morning. That's when the whole thing would have oh went down. And, that's crazy. And they were our neighbors. And <laughs> that's just how she remembers it. I've tried looking up the story and I can't, I can't really find it. But I know a lot of them one-off, isolated incident type murders don't always make the news. Yeah. Um, especially this would have been in the in the nineties, so Yeah, that's crazy. Wow. But it yeah, and that she's doesn't like that part of town anymore. <laughs> she stays away from she's it. She's just like, no, it's yep. just bad news. Yep. That's funny. Oh, Sioux Falls. But it's kind of similar to that to that, that is, story that Yeah, that is that is pretty pretty close. All right, all right, all right. When we talk about the Midwest, sometimes we forget to mention the weather. The climate in the Midwest is pretty much as you might guess. Warm in the summer, cold in the winter. However, there is a phenomenon in the Midwest where the weather changes very quickly. I've seen the temperature shift almost 100 degrees in 24 hours. In January 1943, in Spearfish, South Dakota, the temperature increased 49 degrees in two minutes. It went from four below zero to a sunny 45 degrees. Two minutes. It's crazy. And let's not forget the wind. There's so much damn wind here. There are wind turbines all over the southwestern corner of Minnesota and eastern South Dakota. It seems like it's always windy here. Chinook winds from the southwest bring warm wind, and then the Alberta clippers bring the cold Arctic wind. And speaking of weather... Serena had to go before she got snowed in at my place. She was super interested in all the research I put into telling this story. Wow, that's so fucked up. <laughs> <laughs> the I-90 and I-29 corridors in western Minnesota, eastern South Dakota, northern Iowa, is basically where I'm from. There's the Buffalo Ridge in southwest Minnesota, which turns into the Katoa Ridge as it runs north, just past the North Dakota border. This is known as the Katoa de Prairie. It's a flat iron plateau where the wind builds strength before it rolls down the plateau and across the prairie, spinning the wind turbines like a child's pinwheel. And the blizzards. We don't hear enough about the blizzards. The wind here is what separates a snowfall from a blizzard. Not a winter storm, but the full-on, you-better-have-your-shit-together-for-real-or-you-could-fucking-die blizzard. Now, we just had a blizzard, and that's kind of why I figured I'd tell you guys this story about my mom and one of the worst blizzards on record. There's probably a lot of people listening that don't know what a blizzard is like, so I'm going to do my best to describe it. Let me paint you a picture. It's white. And I'm going to take that picture and slap you in the face with it a hundred times while your extremities freeze and you can't see. That about sums up what a blizzard is like. 
The blizzard I'm going to tell you about started on January 9th, 1975. This particular blizzard had winds that sustained about 45 to 55 miles per hour. And this thing had wind gusts up to 80 miles per hour. Yes, 80. Imagine freeway fast, snow, ice, and any other sort of debris coming at you as the wind takes your breath away. You can only breathe if you bury your head in your coat or scarf. The wind shapes the drifts that drastically change the landscape. You can't tell which way you're going, and in the upper Midwest, if you're stuck, you never, ever leave your vehicle to walk somewhere. Obviously, that was something more important back before cell phones, but still, sometimes out here, even now, there's dead zones. Calls are dropped and texts just sit there, half sent. And believe me, that's not where you want to be when the wind picks up and the snow starts flying. This Prairie Tales is brought to you by Dakota Spotlight Podcast. Three seasons, amazingly done. James has a great style. I'm sure you'll all appreciate it. Season four, follow along as James investigates the death of Billy Wolf of West Fargo. I'll be having James as a guest later this month, and we'll be discussing season one story of Victor Newberry and his mysterious death. Check out Dakota Spotlight Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. January 8th, 1975 was a pretty normal winter day. My mom and her family lived in rural Nobles County in southwest Minnesota. My mom was 14. Now, it was 1975, and they knew that there was a storm coming. They took all the precautions they could. Most of the time, a blizzard comes with the potential to knock out the power. And with that comes a whole host of problems. And farmers, they face those problems and a compounded set of other problems when storms like this hit. They don't get the luxury of waiting it out in the house. More often than not, they are out checking their animals. And my mom's family was no different. They had a commercial egg farm just a quarter of a mile from their house. It was a long, long building, like a pole shed, that housed 46,000 chickens and produced hundreds of dozens of eggs a week. There were alarms and backup generators in place should the power go out. All of this is great in theory, but the thing about farming and weather is that things rarely go as planned, and even more rarely, there are no problems. This was one of those days. The storm had come and was raging outside when the alarm system sounded. While the alarm sounded, the power at the house went out. Everyone got up so they could move to one room and Grandma started hanging heavy blankets around the kitchen. They had a gas stove, and she started boiling water. Now, Grandpa had to get up to the chicken coop and get the generator going. That's what the alarm was. The power went out, and the backup generator did not start. This isn't really a one-man job. He's going to need help. So he tells the oldest girls to get ready, which would be my mom and my aunt. And they did. They got their winter gear on, and then they piled in the car. It wasn't that far, and hopefully they could get there and back. When I say they couldn't see anything, 
That is an understatement. Not only could they not see anything in the whiteout conditions, the snow was like fine sand. It, It got in everywhere. It was really getting blown around, and there was only more to come. The chicken coop was only a quarter of a mile away. They took off, and they drove for a while. The car rocked with each gust of wind. The snow whizzed past the windows and made it feel like they were at warp speed. As you may have figured, they were not at warp speed, and it wasn't long before they got stuck. They were going to have to walk. The three got out of the car and held hands as they walked what they figured was towards the chicken coop. It wasn't but a few yards, and my mom's scarf was blown away by the wind. She reached her hands to her face to catch her breath, and when she looked up, they were gone. Her dad and her sister, nowhere in sight. Nothing was in sight. She could only see white. She was smart enough to stay facing the same direction, and she just kept walking for what seemed like forever. Then it happened. The ground underneath her gave way, and she dropped about four feet into a snowdrift. She laid there, exhausted and drifting off into the quiet white. The only sound was the snow and wind slapping her face. She had all but given up hope, thinking she was a goner. She thought she was dreaming when her sister stood in front of her and yelled, Take my hand! My mom knew she was yelling, but she couldn't really hear anything. Her sister kept yelling, Take my hand! And it was all of the strength she had to reach up and grab her sister's hand. My aunt helped pull my mom up so they could keep walking. My mom was missing a boot and likely suffering from hypothermia. She held on for dear life to her older sister's hand as they walked and walked and walked. At this point, they weren't even sure if they were going in the right direction. They just knew that they weren't going to be able to stay out there. They finally made it to the chicken coop, and there was a drift that was blocking the office door. They had to go in through the cooler in the loading dock area. Thankfully, there was a drift that went right up to the loading dock, and they finally got inside. My mom was unconscious, and they laid her on a table And Grandpa set about getting the generators running. My mom laid on that table for an entire day before she came to. It was freezing, and she shivered and shook as her sister celebrated and cried, You're alive! I can't believe you're alive! It wasn't very long before she ran off to go find Grandpa and tell him that my mom was awake, to maybe give him some good news in this bad situation. They were struggling to stay warm as the temperature plummeted. They tried huddling with the chickens, but with the wind and generators only running intermittently, there was a lack of ventilation. The ammonia from the manure wasn't just an unbearable smell. It was also deadly when not vented properly. So they stayed the warmest in the cooler, insulated, and set at 35 degrees. It was much warmer than the uninsulated um, makeshift office area. They huddled together in the cooler, and every so often, Grandpa would have to go restart the generator. Just a year or so earlier, they had lost the entire chicken population in a lightning strike that knocked out the power. 
This affected the feeding, watering, and ventilation systems. When that happened, there was no alarm, and it went undetected for too long, causing the chickens to die. That incident is what drove the alarm and backup generator systems to be installed. Since those systems were failing to work effectively, they just could not afford to lose another flock of chickens. Across the rural areas of the Midwest, reasons such as this are repeated over and over when someone gets lost or dies in a blizzard. They just couldn't bear to lose any of their animals, and not just because of the monetary losses. It's also the sense of responsibility. Animal husbandry includes doing everything in your power to keep your animals safe and alive. If word got out that your animals suffered while you sat in the house during a blizzard, that would be a black eye on your farming operation and your ethics. You wouldn't recover from that kind of shame very easily. So many of us in the Midwest are defined by our work ethic and the quality of work that we do. And that's why my grandpa needed to be there. And that's also why he needed the extra help. So for three days, they worked when they needed and huddled together in the cooler to keep warm. They slept off and on, but it was the battery backup on the phone that kept them going. My grandma would call and give them pep talks, tell them that there was chili on the stove and the younger kids were waiting to snuggle them up in their blanket forts. My mom said it felt like she would never be warm again. Finally, at long last, my mom heard something. At first she thought she was delirious, but then she heard it again and she knew it was a tractor. And then Grandpa heard it too, and it got closer and closer. They waited for what felt like forever. Then all of a sudden the door opened, and one of Grandpa's bosses stood there waiting to bring them home. As my mom explained what she saw when the door opened, the tears welled up in her eyes. She saw an angel with a tractor, and I cried as she described the stillness. She said it was so quiet, with what seemed like every star in the galaxy shining brightly. They wouldn't have known that the storm was over, nor would they have been able to get out. The drifts were so high they blocked all of the doors and even the one window. It was Grandma who sent this angel on a John Deere. The minute she saw a break in the storm, she began calling to get help to her oldest kids and her husband. Although the house was probably about the same temperature as the cooler, it was so much warmer. They made it through, and when the spring came, they found my mom's missing boot in the creek, which is where she fell through and almost didn't make it. The only loss of life was the family dog, Tuffy, who they found frozen to the fence line after some of the snow had melted. Where did they find the car, you ask? Well, as they got closer to the driveway, riding on the back of the tractor, they saw... The family car was stuck. They hadn't even made it to the end of the driveway. When they walked towards the chicken coop, they thought they were on the road. They actually walked through a quarter mile of pasture, including the creek. The fences had drifted over, and that's how they didn't run into any of them. Both my mom and my aunt believe they were not alone that day. My mom has no idea how my aunt found her. My aunt has no idea how she found my mom. They both have no idea how they made it to the chicken coop. One slight turn could have killed them all. 
We still don't know why Grandpa sent my Aunt Maggie back to go look for my mom, but he did. Who knows? What we do know is that if he hadn't, my mom would have laid there and she would have died. Still to this day, when the weather's bad, and especially if there's a blizzard, my mom will always call and make sure all of her kids are somewhere safe, and she usually gets a pot of soup going on the stove. Blizzards are no joke, and I hope if anyone learns anything from this story, it's how to survive a blizzard. Always keep a winter weather emergency kit in your car. Travel with extra blankets, coats, gloves, and hats. Keep extra water and snacks. If you go off the road, do not leave your vehicle during a blizzard. Slow down, don't override conditions. And the number one rule is, if you don't have to go anywhere in bad weather, stay where you are. Until next time, bye! Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, like, and subscribe. Give us a review. This has been a Sucast Network original.